Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Recap, coming to you after the New England Revolution's 1-0 win over FC Dallas in the Revolution's home opener at Gillette Stadium on Saturday afternoon. Carlos Hill gave the Revolution the lead on a first-half stoppage-time penalty kick that he earned after getting fouled in the box in a nice VAR review that went the Revolution's way. And the Revolution defense kept a clean sheet, Earl Edwards' first clean sheet as a professional player in MLS in his eighth game, uh, which secured the three points for the Revolution and kept the Revolution unbeaten two games into the season, heading into their first CONCACAF Champions League matchup with Pumas. I'm Sean Donahue. Joining me today, as usual, is Greg Johnstone. Greg, how are you doing? Doing good, Sean. And I got to say, right now, we're recording this Sunday night. And Sean, as you know, right now, AEW Revolution is going on, the pay-per-view for WWE's rival company. It makes me wonder why we don't do AEW Revolution recap. I think we need to do that next year. Uh, I'll leave that one to you. I I don't know if I'd be uh, very valuable to that. (laughs) I'll I'll get Alex Dolan to to hop on and and we'll do a recap show for our good listeners next year. Anyways, before we jump in, we got a, a lot to talk about, a lot of listener questions this week, uh, as well as our key takeaways. Um, we do have an announcement to make, and Greg, I'll let you take that one. Yeah, we probably should have done this a few weeks ago, but we kind of ran a little bit behind in terms of prepping for this season. Uh, the long story short is we are selling out and we are starting a Patreon Um more or less what happens every off season is we kind of evaluate what we want to change up for the podcast. If we want to do more, if we want to do less. Uh, and we're kind of at a point in our lives where we're kind of on the wrong side of 30 things are picking up. Uh, and it seems to be a little bit more and more of a challenge to this podcast week in and week out. Uh, but with that being said, we don't want to cut back our coverage. And if anything, we think that more coverage is needed. Um, and so we're kind of starting this to kind of get an idea of where demand is. If, we should continue doing interviews if we should continue doing uh, episodes every single week. And, you know, as I, if we get a good enough amount of support, maybe we look into adding a second episode a week, uh, maybe kind of dedicate more time and more resources to that. So um, we're, we're starting a Patreon just to kind of see uh, where the level of support of our podcast is going forward to see if this is something that we can kind of grow and scale into something bigger. So five, 10 years down the road, we can kind of keep it going and kind of have it grow into something else, um, as opposed to something that in years past, we've just kind of done as a side hobby that one day it will die and go away and we'll go our separate ways and yada, yada, yada. So um, we're starting a Patreon kind of with the intention of growing this and kind of making it bigger going forward. And uh, some frequently asked questions, because I know some people will have some questions right off the bat, but more or less, this is a tip jar. Um, there's going to be no content behind a paywall. There's no tiers. Um, if you do not contribute to the Patreon, you will get everything that we do on your uh, RSS feed, on iTunes, on Spotify. It's still going to be available wherever you listen. The only difference is if you want to financially contribute to the podcast, you can now do that. Uh, this also does not impact our partnership with Galasso Kits. They will remain our sponsor for this season. We actually spoke to them recently. Uh, They're very happy with the podcast. They love our listeners as much as we do. So we will still be uh, doing a, a sponsorship with Galasso Kits, and you can still use promo code REVSRECAP for 15% off your order at galassokits.com. So, uh, yep, just some quick show announcements before we get into today. 
Thank you, Greg. Excited for that and excited to see what, what interest there is in kind of supporting our tip jar there. Uh, but with that, let's jump into this game. Uh, Revolution's first victory of the season. Greg, what was your takeaway from this one? My key takeaway from this game and also kind of the first game, too, because I was not on last week's episode, is that Sebastian Legette is looking like a perfect fit for the Revolution system. Um, I, I think he's had a phenomenal first couple of games. He obviously had the, the goal in the first game. He had a 95% passer rating uh, in this game Saturday. He had 59 touches, three successful dribbles, um, three for three on tackles, one. He had eight recoveries. Um, he was six for 12 in duels, which wasn't great. Uh, but he, he really is kind of forming a very solid partnership with Carlos Hill. Um, I know Seth McComer had a nice thread on Twitter today about how the Revs are playing kind of more of a narrow diamond. Tejan Buchanan is more of a winger and kind of hugged that outside line uh, up on, on the uh, right wing. Uh, Legette kind of is moving in and out. Uh, he's kind of forming a nice partnership with Carlos Hill, and it's also allowing – Brandon by Brandon by did a, a really nice job pushing up the swing and Dewan Jones, the first two games, I thought he's looked very, very dangerous in the attacking third. Uh, they, it seems like an emphasis is getting the wingbacks really, really, really high up the field. Uh, and, and as part of that is um, they want a little more strength in the midfield, kind of in those narrower portion, portions of the field. Um, and I think Sebastian legit is flying uh, is with passing with flying colors so far, um, just kind of a really, really solid fit. And I think when they made this move, a lot of people said, well, you know, this is a bit of a downgrade from Tejan Buchanan. Tejan Buchanan, obviously, is young, dynamic winger. Sebastian Legette isn't really a dynamic winger. He's kind of more of a central midfielder. You know, how is he going to fit in? Um, and I think the concept was that he would kind of make this shape a little bit more narrower and kind of add another interior passing attack uh, to kind of complement Carlos Hill. And I think it's worked out very, very well so far. So uh, my key takeaway is everything is looking great so far uh, in terms of DeBaby. Yeah, he's been a fantastic addition to the revolution. I know we talked about it before that kind of the expectation was that he would kind of slot into Tejan's spot, but not play it the same way. And I think that's what we've seen so far. I think what we saw in this game, you know, was the revolution's best 11 in Bruce's mind outside of, you know, Matt Turner not being there. Um, you know, two games in a row, we've kind of seen the same lineup. Uh, with the exception of Henry Kessler because he was injured the first game. We'll get into that later. Um, but, you know, I thought this was the best lineup, and I thought Sebastian Legette has fit really, really well into what Bruce Arena is trying to do. Um, you know, of course, it's only been two games. There's still, you know, some kinks to work out. I'm going to you know, talk about that with my key takeaway. But he's been a fantastic addition to the Revolution. He's been passing really well, and he's been, you know, a key part of this team. Um, you know, if you look at statistics, uh, he's got a, a 7.26 rating from who scored, which makes him the third highest rated player on the Revolution so far this season. Um, and, he, you know, his 90.6% passing accuracy is the most of any Revolution player that started both games. So, uh, so far, so good uh, from Sebastian Legette. And I think it's, you know, there was reason to be excited about his addition to the Revolution and it's lived up to the hype. And I think he's only going to get better as he learns his teammate, uh, teammates a bit more and as he gains more fitness. Yeah, and it's worth noting, too, Bruce Arena has made the comment that they've had a bit of a rough offseason because the two games with Cavalier, they kind of based everything in their preseason around those two games. And with those canceled, um, Bruce has kind of made some comments that they seem to be a little bit on the back foot. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, he hasn't really had a full preseason to really gel yet, but he seems to be fitting in very well. I do want to quickly uh, correct myself that Sebastian Legette is Deboy, uh, not to be confused with DeBaby, who is a homophobic rapper. So I apologize. I, I said DeBaby, I meant DeBoy. 
So I just want to you, you were probably that. confused because the I think the revolution tweeted out a picture of the baby when they were going to make that announcement along with uh, some other people with duh it before their name. So uh, yeah, that, it, must, it, that must have been the problem. And everyone on the revolution is having babies, apparently. So that, that's, that's a very common mistake. That's true. Uh, w- one interesting thing for Sebastian Legette that I did want to add is he's actually leading the revolution in tackles per game at three per game, which I don't think is something to be expected from him. So that's, I mean, that's another nice, nice part of his game that he's added to the revolution. Um, so, you know, again, he's, he's contributing all over the place for the Revs, and I think he fits really well with what they're trying to do. And I think as he gets to learn, you know, Carly's heels game, Adam Buchs's game, Gustavo Bo's game, it's only going to get better. So a, a lot to be excited about there. Uh, with that said, we've had a lot of positive takeaways on the show over two episodes. I, I do want to get a little bit more negative. Um, and that's that the revolution have their most challenging game, uh, perhaps ever, uh, coming up on Wednesday against Pumas in the CONCACAF Champions League. A very, very difficult matchup against a very good team from Mexico. Um, and, you know, for all the positive things we've said, the Revolution are unbeaten two games into the season. They need to be a lot sharper against Pumas if they're going to come away with a victory over two legs. Um, you know, the Revolution had the advantage of, you know, these two games so far of playing against other MLS teams that are also early in the season, um, also gaining their sharpness. Pumas is going to be coming into this one, you know, midseason form, uh, ready to go. And, you know, you mentioned it already. Bruce said that preseason wasn't good enough for the Revs. You know, they had those two games against Cavalier that didn't get played. I think that really impacted their preseason um, and, you know, made it so they weren't as sharp as they wanted to be. Uh, and, you know, so far they've been good enough to get a draw on the road against a very good Portland team and a win at home against FC Dallas. It's been good enough in MLS, but I, I don't think it has been good enough to beat a team like Pumas. You know, you look at this game against Dallas, they only had two shots in the first half. Uh, you know, Dallas get, came into this game kind of playing a defensive shape and, and for the most part did really well to prevent the Revolution from scoring until they got that penalty kick in first half stoppage time that Carlos Hill put away. And then, you know, they had to come out of their shell a bit and the Revolution got a lot more shots in the second half. But, you know, one one shot other than a penalty kick in the first half is not good enough. And then even Carlos Hill, who I think had a great game, had a fantastic chance in the 74th minute when Gustavo Bo put in kind of a long-range shot that forced a save from the goalkeeper. The ball fell out to Carlos Hill. Um, you know, the goalkeeper was on the ground. Carlos Hill, he had to stretch a bit for the ball, but if he had managed to chip it over the keeper, it would have been an easy goal, and instead he hit it right into the keeper's chest uh, with the keeper on the ground, and that, you know, prevented that game from being 2 nothing. When you're playing a team like Pumas, you got to put those chances away. I think the Revolution need to leave Gillette Stadium on Wednesday with a multi- multi-goal victory um, if they're going to go into Mexico with a good chance of advancing. And, you know, the performance today, good enough to get, performance Saturday, rather, good enough to get a victory against FC Dallas. I think it needs to be a lot better um, going into to Wednesday. And, you know, we'll talk a bit about the lineup, but I do think that Bruce recognized that the Revolution, you know, aren't sharp enough because of their preseason. And uh, there was a lot of talk of, you know, maybe the Revolution should rotate for this game and, and bench a lot of guys. But I think Bruce, you know, probably thought sharpness was more important than rotation and fitness um, and that some of these guys needed to continue to gain fitness so that they were better off, you know, gaining sharpness and fitness from this game and playing Wednesday as well um, than they would have been kind of resting this one and, and going in Wednesday rested. Um, but, you know, again, good start to the season, but I don't think it's good enough to be a team like Pumas unless they can, can up their game and play a lot sharper on Wednesday. No, no, I, I agree 100 percent. And yeah, if this is a stronger team in the East or you know, a stronger team in the West, you know, I, I think the scoreline is a little bit different. Uh, I'm not entirely convinced the Revs were the better team today. I mean, I, I think it's unexpected goals. I'd have to look up what their expected goals are. I think they they won in that category. So I, I certainly think it's it's fair to say it, it's a fair result. Uh, but there are a lot of moments here where you, you thought this game should have been put away. Um, you mentioned the play there with Carlos Teal uh, not putting away that rebound in the 74th minute. Uh, there was one play in the 45th, uh, 41st minute where they do a long ball over the top to Brandon Bay. Uh, Brandon Bay kind of runs into the box, kind of stops, cuts back, leaves it off to Bo, and 
you originally thought that the shot was blocked. It looks like Bo kind of scuffs that shot altogether. Um, so that's something that you hope that kind of Bo kind of tidies up because you really need him to start scoring some goals. Uh, Brandon Bai had a completely botched cross where he basically just kicked it straight at the goalkeeper. Um, and then there were some mishaps on defense too. Uh, there were some holes kind of on that right side of the line uh, with with Andrew Farrell and and Brandon By, there were a couple of times players got right in behind them. Uh, there was one point that in the I'd have to look up where it was. I don't see it right now in my notes, uh, but there was one time where I think Paul Ariola, oh, 56 minute, uh, is completely behind the defense, uh, and there's a cross that goes right over his head and out for a goal kick. So you know, didn't hurt him, but that was just a wide open person in the box that would have been onside. It would have led to a, a a very dangerous chance. Uh, there was another time in the 74th minute. I think this was down the left side where. Paul Ariola kind of slides it across, uh, and Ferreira scuffs the shot high. Um, that easily could have been a goal as well. So um, there, there are some mishaps on FC Dallas's side as well, and, and I think Earl Edwards wasn't tested probably as much as he should have. Uh, it seems like FC Dallas's biggest chances, they, they seem to just not have it right either. Uh, so those are chances that I expect Pumas to completely take advantage of come Wednesday night. Yeah, exactly. You know, like the Revs, Dallas just playing their second game of the season as well. Not not the case with Pumas, who was you know in midseason. So it's it's going to be a very 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 difficult game for the Revolution. Um, you know, even if the Revolution were in midseason form, it would be a difficult game. Uh, so you know, it's going to be something where the Revolution need to step up their game to another level. And you know, you mentioned Dallas; they did have some chances that, where they could equalize. There was even one late in stoppage time where uh, I forget who it was, but you know, the ball came to a player on kind of the far post, and you kind of couldn't decide whether to shoot across and ended up you know, playing a, a useless cross um, where they probably should equalize because he was wide open. Uh, so you know, good result for the Revolution overall. You know, great start to the season, um, but it's going to be a very, very different challenge when they're facing Pumas. And I, I do strongly feel that they need to win by more than one goal at home if they're going to be able to go into Mexico City and come away with a you know positive uh, result over two legs. So that'll be something to watch. Um, there were some other topics I wanted to touch on. You know, we mentioned the lineup was the same as last week, except Kessler for Gonzalez. I think this is, you know, the Revs' best 11, uh, with the exception of goalkeeper. Greg, any, any doubts about that? No, I, I agree 100%. Um, and then the, the you know negative was Kessler got injured in first half stoppage time. Um, looks like he re-injured the hamstring injury that had been bothering him. You know, Bruce opted actually to play the last couple of minutes of the first half down a man and put Omer on at halftime instead to let him warm up. Um, he did mention that Kessler wasn't expected to go 90 minutes anyways, but this seems like a setback that will probably at least keep him out uh, Wednesday. Are you, are you concerned about that? How much of a concern is it to you know presumably not have him for at least the first leg of CONCACAF Champions League? Yeah, well, it's a really big deal for the Champions League I, just because I mean, right off the bat you don't have – one of your better defenders, you're, you're missing someone from that top 11. And truth be told, as, as you said, Sean, I, I think this first leg is very, very critical. And I'm curious to see how Bruce Arena plays it. If he comes out, if they're um, going to try to be very aggressive and try to have this be a high scoring affair, um, I, I, I assume they're going to run out their top 11. But I wonder if they kind of make some more aggressive subs uh, to kind of get on maybe Josie Altador a little bit sooner, uh, really kind of try to attack and try to get those extra goals. Um, so anytime you're missing a starting 11 player, I know we're talking about a defender, so it's a, a little bit different, but um, I, I think this is certainly going to hurt them in the Champions League. Uh, but I'm, I'm really more concerned about the overall, you have five games in 15 days, I believe, I don't know what is going on with John Bell. Um, I, I assume that maybe he's just moved his way down to fourth center back. I'm curious to see how they manage minutes. It seems like Henry Kessler, this has been a nagging injury for a few weeks now. He had some injuries 
this hamstring injury seemed to have been bothering them in the preseason. That's why he sat on this opening game, and it seems like he has re-aggravated it. So it seems like the next few weeks they would probably want to rest Kessler through the international break. It's going to be interesting to see how they manage minutes. And, you know, I know Andrew Farrell is a bit of an Iron Man. Um, I don't know if Omar Gonzalez can go five or four and a half games in 15 days. I think that's a real big concern. So then you have John Bell stepping in. Um, you know, how is he going to perform? Is he going to see Champions League minutes? Is he going to play uh, next week in MLS competition, kind of in a weekend lineup? Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they manage minutes because it seems like the plan going into this year was Henry Kessler and Andrew Farrell as your starting center back pairing with Omar Gonzalez kind of stepping in when needed. Um, this really throws a, a big wrench into the plan. And I, I like John Bell. I think I'm more positive on John Bell than a lot of other people. But if John Bell is out there playing Champions League minutes, I'm not sure that's completely ideal. So it is definitely a concern for the next couple of weeks with Henry Kessler out, um, specifically for this Champions League game. Omar Gonzalez, I didn't think he was particularly that great in Portland. I thought he was fine against Dallas. Not that Dallas was the, you know, most difficult competition. I, I know I met, we, we mentioned... Uh, the defense kind of had some lapses there against Dallas and got away with it. Again, Pumas is going to hop all over that. So hopefully Omar Gonzalez kind of steps up. Hopefully he kind of finds his form going to this game. But I'd much, I'd rather have Henry Kessler back there for sure. Oh, I'm completely with you. But the one thing I will say is that I'm not 100% certain that even if Henry Kessler was healthy, that we wouldn't have seen Omar Gonzalez play this game. Um, because Omar Gonzalez has that, you know, CONCACAF experience that, not many people on the Revolution roster do. And I think this is why Bruce brought him in here. He's the only guy on the Revolution that has won the CONCACAF Champions League. Um, so he's got a host of experience playing in Liga MX. You know, w- way more experience playing as Pumas than anyone else in this team. Of course, that was, you know, back in 2015 to 2019. So he's got a few years on his legs since then. Um, you know, I would be a lot more comfortable with Henry Kessler out there. But I'm not convinced that Bruce Arena because of Omar's experience, wouldn't have played him anyways in the Champions League. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see what he can do out there. Um, as far as Champions League goes, I would rather have Omar than John Bell um, because of his experience. I would like to see Omar play, you know, both these Pumas games, assuming Henry Kessler is not ready to go for the second leg, and John Bell play the MLS game to, you know, kind of keep Omar's uh, legs from, from playing too many games in too many weeks given his age. Um, so this is a huge test of Omar's experience and a huge test of what he's still got left in him. But I do think that, you know, having another guy with CONCACAF experience out there is helpful, especially if the revolution are missing Matt Turner, which it sounds like they almost certainly will be, uh, for both these legs. Um, it would have Omar out there and add that experience in front of Earl Edwards or whoever it is in goal. I think, I think is a good thing. Um, you know, with, again, with the caveat that I think Henry Kessler and the revolution's defense plays better with Henry Kessler out there. So, um, you know, this is why Omar is here. Um, and it's a big chance for him to kind of step up and play a big role in, you know, very difficult games for the revolution. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. It's unfortunate Henry Kessler's hurt, but I, I'm not hundred percent certain that we wouldn't have seen Omar either way. Um, and you know, on the lineup notes, we saw the revolution close the game out with, you know, Josie Altador, Adam Buxa and Gustavo Bo out there at the same time. I was surprised to see that, you know, given the revolution were winning that, you know, you bring all of your you know, expensive strikers out there at the same time. Um, but it worked. Uh, what, what did you think of the decision to put all of them out there at the same time? And how do you think that looked? Well, it was interesting too, because they were up by a goal. Um, right. I, I don't think that 
it wouldn't have shocked me if they're down by a goal, throwing all of them out there and seeing what happens. That that wouldn't have totally shocked me. Um, I was a little surprised that all of them came on uh, and, and finished out the game. Uh, 70th minute, Josie and Maciel comes on for Sebastian Legette uh, and Tommy McNamara. I figured maybe they'd run this for five, 10 minutes, and then maybe we'd see another substitution for Buxa or Bo. I thought maybe we would see like a Boateng for Bo type of sub- substitution uh, or, or maybe uh, Tristesen for Bo or something like that kind of take off another attacker for a midfielder. Uh, But it seemed like Bruce wanted to maybe push and get a second goal. And they did create some chances on the counterattack. Overall, though, I'm not a huge fan of it. It looks like Josie Altador was almost playing kind of like a winger, kind of right midfielder type position, um, which, you know, I'm sure he's that's obviously not his natural position. Um, So, uh, you know, I I don't know. It's I'm curious to see if this is something that's going to happen long term or not. I wasn't a huge fan of it, both because of the situation and both because I, I just don't think that's the fastest uh, lineup you can have out there to counter. I don't think that's the most defensive uh, lineup you can have out there. Um, I thought the midfield was a little bit thin in the final 20 minutes of that game. Um, so, But Bruce Arena has 241 more wins in MLS than me, so who am I to question it? But um, yeah, it certainly was a big surprise. I, I was I, I, When I saw Josie come in in the 70th minute, I was thinking in my head, They'll probably do this for five or ten minutes and then try to solidify this game. Uh, and Bruce burned those final two subs and didn't use them. So uh, it, it ended up working out. But, um, yeah, uh, that was a bit of a head-scratcher to me. I, I'm completely with you. I don't I don't get it. Um, and, you know, if it's something that they're going to do when they're down a goal to try to push for a, a win and, you know, throw everything out there, that makes sense. But I don't really get it in the situation. I don't, I don't really want to see it again against better oppositions in this situation. Um, but you know, they worked, they held on. So <laughs> I guess it is what it is. Well, and they had that, that we talked about that moment in the 74th minute where Carlos Hill got the rebound. There was another play too, where Bo is on the left side and he crosses over to Carlos Hill. It was around the 81st minute. Uh, he crosses it over to heel on the right wing and then he'll crosses it over to Bo far post and Bo kind of basically tips it and he misses it wide near post. That probably should have been uh, a second goal as well. Um, so they, they did create chances. I, I think, yeah. You know, the, the criticism of Bruce in the past is people have wondered, you know, does he park the bus too soon? Uh, should he be pushing for a second? And as I say, I, I thought we were going to get 10 to 15 minutes of pushing for a second and then, OK, let's slam the door. Uh, but they really were, you know, pushing for a second and to kind of put it away. And, you know, it's good to have that type of confidence and it's good to have Josie Altador on the bench as a weapon. I almost kind of see this as Bruce looking at this at Josie and saying, you know, this guy's too good to not get in this game somehow. Um, but with that being said, I probably would have taken off books or bow and, and thrown on a midfielder to kind of crowd the midfield and, um, you know, counter counter with Josie Altador up top. Yeah, I, th- I think that's exactly it, that, you know, he wanted to get Altador out there. He wanted to get time. I don't know that the move he made was the right one to make, but it worked. So what are we to question it? Um, with that said, you know, you, you mentioned he didn't use the last two subs. You know, there were two guys that were on the bench that, you know, last year were the fourth and fifth fifth highest paid players in the team and Arnold Tristesen, who was on the bench for the first time this season and Willie Captoom, who was making his, you know, second appearance on the bench and came off last time, but didn't play in this one. Um, we were all surprised that those two guys didn't come in given there were two substitutions left. And, you know, in theory, I think Captoom was a guy that you'd put on to kind of maintain possession and hold the lead more than you would a guy like Josie Altidore, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know who I, I mean, I would have taken off, probably Bo or Buxa for one of them uh, and kind of add about it. The midfield, like I said, um, 
I, I don't know where they kind of land on Bruce's trust tree. And I know that I think he said after the game that he wanted to keep certain players out there to kind of build their fitness and kind of get them to 90 minutes fit. So uh, I, I will go with that and assume that that is uh, the, the correct reason to why that is. Uh, but I think Tristison and Captoom not getting in this game is kind of telling. Uh, and you see Maciel getting two appearances and playing quite well. I, I think Maciel is filling in that role of, I'll say, Scott Caldwell of, kind of coming in, closing out the game. Uh, and Captoom and Tristison, uh, I don't know what their role is because I would have assumed that that would have been a spot where you see one of them, especially Tristison. I thought Tristison, that would have been a pretty good spot for him to kind of play that kind of left side for Gustavo Bo. Uh, I thought that would have been a bit of a natural fit, uh, but it seems like Bruce Arena wanted to see out the game with his best players and his best attackers still in the field. So um, in terms of resting him for Champions League, um, I don't know how much 10 or 15 minutes would have made a difference, but um, it, it'll be interesting to see if they get minutes next Saturday in between Champions League games, because I think Bruce Arena knows he's going to have to have some rotation. He's going to have to have some depth kind of come in. So I'm curious to see how he utilizes those guys off the bench uh, or in the starting lineup next week. I mean, if they don't play some some role next week, and I think you have some serious questions to ask, I, I think, you know, there were disappointments last year and you, you know, a lot of guys take a year to adjust to MLS. So you'd hope that the second year would be better, but um, it is worrying or troubling to me, or at least a little bit telling that we haven't seen, you know, Tristison yet. He didn't even make the match day roster in the first game and, you know, didn't play in this game. And, you know, Captoon played a few minutes in the first game, but I think was, you know, very much overshadowed by Massial and then didn't play in this game um, or, you know, the much cheaper option. Massial has played really well in the first two games of the season off the bench. So, uh, too soon to you know completely write those guys off, but I, if if we don't see them you know next weekend after the Pumas game when you know Bruce should be rotating, um, then I think there'll be some real questions to ask. But I I think we'll see them then, and that'll be an opportunity for them to earn more minutes. So uh, you know keep an eye on that one. Not, not not too soon to panic, but keep an eye on that one. Um, and then I want to touch on the goalkeeper situation quickly. Uh, Earl Edwards, as I mentioned, first career shutout. I thought he played really really well again. Um, you know. Brad Knighton, we heard from you know, Levin Reed, he tweeted out on February 24th that he'd cleared concussion protocol. So I would have thought that he would be available by now, but he was not on the bench. And then Matt Turner, Bruce Arena said after the game uh, on Revs TV that he expected Matt Turner to be back by the end of the month at the latest, um, which to me is you know means we're not going to see him against Pumas in either of these two games. Who would you expect to start on Wednesday? It's got to be Earl Edwards, right? Even if Brad Knighton is ready. Yeah, I think it's Earl Edwards just because he's had these two games. And truthfully, what's the difference in what we've seen so far in Earl Edwards in these two games versus the six games we had last year in Brad Knighton? I, I don't think the quality is too far off. Um, I think Earl Edwards has played fine these past two games. And I think you have to kind of not necessarily ride the hot hand because I don't think Earl Edwards has been MLS of the goalkeeper of the year worthy so far. Uh, but he, he's certainly proven to be a solid backup. Uh, I thought he played well in Portland. Um I, I think you're going to roll with Earl Edwards because he has had kind of this game experience. I'm curious to see, to see how long Knighton stays out of the match day squad. Uh, he did clear concussion protocol, like you said. So it's kind of interesting that he's been held out of the 18 these first two weeks. I assume it's just a precautionary thing. Um, he wasn't on the injury report last week. He was two weeks ago, but we all know the injury report is kind of made up. Uh, but it is interesting that he isn't even listed as the backup uh, who kind of comes in in, in case of emergency. Um, I, I don't, I'm not going to read too much into that in, as a Jacob Jackson thing. Um, I, I can't imagine he's made so much of a, 
an impact. He's surpassed Brad Knighton on the, the depth chart. I think this is just injury related. So um, I imagine that they're going to go with Earl Edwards uh, for the time being. But, you know, four more games in two weeks. Uh, I, I'm curious to see how long Knighton is held out of that 18. Yeah, I would I would think that you'd want Knighton, if he's healthy, to at least be, you know, your backup keeper in these Champions League games, especially because you don't you don't want to have a situation where, you know, God forbid something happens to Earl Edwards and you have to throw a rookie goalkeeper that's got zero minutes, um, you know, into such a difficult situation. I think that would be a, a really bad way to, to kind of to kind of give him his first experience and could be a, a confidence killer if things don't go well. So um, I, I'm surprised if, you know, if he really did clear concussion protocol back, on, you know, in, in late February, I would have thought he'd be back in the match day squad from now, but we haven't heard anything. So keep an eye on that one. Um, now, now, Sean, I have a question for you. If ever assume all three goalkeepers, well, four goalkeepers are healthy and hundred percent and ready to go. What do you think is the depth chart? I assume Matt Turner is one, but do you think Earl Edwards has surpassed Brad Knighton as the team's uh, number two? Um, I'm, I'm not sure yet. I think he's close to doing that. I think it's kind of a 50, 50 question right now. I, I don't, I don't know that Earl Edwards has shown enough to tell me he's better than Brad Knight. And I think they're, I kind of have him on, on par in my head right now. Um, but I think, you know, a couple more starts where he plays well and, and he will have. So it, it'll be interesting. I, I don't know. It's a tough, it's a tough one. Um, and, you know, Earl Edwards has kind of age on his side that he's 30 compared to Knighton being 36. So he's got, you know, a little bit, a little bit more youth and a little bit more, um, you know, years left in him. So I think that's a positive, but after just two starts, it's too soon for set to say, but I think he's played, you know, very, very well and has, you know, made Bruce's decision very difficult going forward. Um, where, you know, especially after this start, I think Wednesday, if both were healthy, you got to start Earl Edwards and kind of go with the hot hand and go with the guy that's, you know, been communicating with the defense and kind of built that chemistry over the first two games of the season. Yeah. And what's interesting too, is that I am assuming that Matt Turner will be ready for the Red Bulls game on April 2nd. Um, and just kind of so our listeners know, I know that uh, Tom Quinlan said on his podcast last week that uh, Matt Turner has a, either a break or a fracture in his foot uh, that was suffered sometime in the preseason. I've seen some reports saying it was during the uh, U.S. national team game in Minnesota during the freezing cold. Uh, I've seen that, you know, some reports saying that it was during training. I've seen some reports saying that it was during one of the preseason games. So not totally sure when it happened, uh, but Everyone I've seen report something along these lines. It sounds like a short-term injury, uh, and Bruce Arena saying that it's uh, hopefully by the end of the month. What that kind of tells me is that uh, Matt Turner is probably just resting his foot. He'll probably miss the United States uh, international break, uh, and, and hopefully he will be back at the start of April for the Revs. But if, if that's the timeline, Earl Edwards has, is going to play probably six games. There's four more games after this, and that's the same number of games that Brad Knighton played last year. So there's going to be an equal sample size to measure up Earl Edwards to Brad Knighton. So when Matt Turner comes back, it'll be interesting to see you know, who's going forward as the number two in the game day roster. I, I think Bruce will have had enough time to evaluate Earl Edwards uh, versus Brad Knighton. Yeah, it, it, but you know it's a short-term injury, which is good for the Revs. But at the same time, it's about the worst possible time he could have that short-term injury, given you know he's leaving the Revolution in July, when you really needed him was, uh, and his experience and, and his shot-stopping ability was these game against Pumas, and so to miss him for that is you know really unfortunate for the Revolution because I think that's this season where he could be the most help to the team is in Concacaf Champions League, and you hope that the Revolution can find a way to get past this and that he can be ready to go for the quarterfinals if the if the Revolution you know are are to advance or sorry the semifinals if the Revolution are to advance. So that'll be you know I don't know dis- disappointing that he's going to miss these games, but what can you do? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and just a quick shout out, you mentioned it already, Bruce Arena 
the all-time MLS wins leader with his 241st win. Uh, exciting to see the revolution celebrate in the locker room after with the champagne and lots of them to celebrate. You also mentioned all the babies. Uh, Matt Turner doing a gender reveal after the match, just having a boy, future revolution goalkeeper, I think. Um, hopefully Arsenal doesn't get his rights first. Uh, and Carles Hill, after he scored his penalty kick, also announcing he's having a baby. So lots of excitement for the revolution in this one on top of three points. Um, we got a lot of listener questions. Before we do, I want to take a minute to talk about the sponsor of this wait, podcast. Wait, 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 oh, Sean, I have a joke. I have a joke. <laughs> I have a joke. Uh, Matt Turner revealed after the game he's going to have Du Bois. <laughs> All right, continue. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> Subscribe to our Patreon. Anyways, anyways, I wanted to talk about the sponsor of this podcast. You mentioned them earlier, Galasho Kits. Galasho Kits is the go-to place to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home. The passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders, and neither does the selection. If you head to GalashoKits.com today, you can save 15% on your order by using codes REVSRECAP. That's REVSRECAP at checkout to save 15% off your order at GalashoKits.com. And one thing we haven't mentioned yet is the Revolution unveiled their 2021 Supporter Shield banner at Gillette Stadium. And to the surprise of everybody, it featured the now retro crayon flag. We had heard it was going to be the new logo, but it was actually the crayon flag on the banner, which is exciting. And if that made you nostalgic, there's plenty of crayon flag merch at GalashoKits.com. And you can use code RevsRecap to save 15% on that. So you know, if you're excited by that banner, go out and buy some crayon flag merchandise while you can. Um, so with that, questions the first one comes from wa wall walk walk on twitter i probably botched that but i'm not sure what else i'm supposed to do uh brandon buys poor position and concentration has been hurting the revs since last season and it is still hurting in the first half today people have been saying a back three for the revs this year but i thought last year's roster was more suitable when pulling by back into right center back greg any thoughts on this and kind of brandon buys uh positioning and play over the first two games I'm a defender against the Brandon by haters, but yesterday was a really rough game for him. I know I mentioned his botched cross earlier. Uh, he had a couple of turnovers. I think at one point he just kind of lost the ball at his feet. It seems like this is a formation that the revs are really going to use the wing backs pushing up. And I know it, Brandon by crossing has been a talking point for a very, very long time. Uh, and, and I'm not sure it's going to get better. I think we're in what year five of Brandon by, uh, so yeah, I don't know about his concentration uh, and, and I didn't actually think his positioning was awful. Um, I, I think he kind of pushed up when they wanted him to push up. They had that long ball over the back, which I thought Brandon by did really well on. Um, and he had a nice little cutback and if Bo can finish that, then he has a goal and assist in the first two games. Uh, and, and maybe I'm kind of overblowing it, but, um, yeah, I, I, Brandon by, I, I think has had a, his performance overall, I don't think, was satisfactory from what we can usually expect from Brandon By. So um, in terms of a back three, too, I guess that would mean pulling Brandon By out of the lineup. I don't know if you play him as a kind of a wing winger slash wing back and kind of a three, five, two. Um, but I don't know. I, is he going to work out as kind of a crossing wing back? I'm not so sure. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because who scored has him as the second best Revs player this year at a 7.73 rating. Um, I wouldn't give him that. I think, you know, I, I didn't notice his defensive lapses as much in this game as I did against Portland. I think they were a lot more obvious against Portland. I do think that, you know, based on the Portland game, and we, I talked about this last week, that, you know, the focus and concentration 
uh, is a problem. I think it was a problem the second half of last season. Like I mentioned last week, Bruce you know, talked about that last year after one game where you know he pointed out that it needed to be better, and I think it you know carried over into this season. I do think that it's a problem. I think we've seen him be better. I think the first half of last season was better. So you know, hopefully he can get back to that. Um, again, not hit, hitting the panic button yet because to be honest, I didn't think he was as bad defensively in this game. Where at the same time, I think you know. Part of that might have been FC Dallas wasn't as threatening going forward in general. They don't have as good of an attack as Portland. But, um, you know, we'll see. There, There is some reason to be concerned. Um, you know, I agree with Greg that his his offense, you know, his crossing ability and, you know, some of his offense hasn't been as good as you'd like him to be given, you know, the pressure that's being put on him to provide that with in the Revolution's formation. Um, but I, I'm not hitting the panic button yet. We've seen him play a lot better. I think we saw him play a lot better last year. And, you know, our statistical ratings at who scored and, and foot mob, I think have been rating him very well this year. So he's, you know, been doing some good things. Um, you know, even if we can point out some flaws in his, in his game. It's, he's a very frustrating player because he's great in the air. He's fast. He, he has the, physical capabilities of being a great wing uh, wing back in MLS. I mean, his his potential is high. But as I say, um, you, you know, there are just a couple of times where someone squeezes in between Farrell and Bai and you wonder, where is the breakdown? I know Brandon Bai almost kind of set that guy on side last week against Portland. He was responsible for some of the goals there. Um, you know, I, I don't want to accuse someone of having poor concentration, but there just seem to be a lot of little things that Brandon Bai just can't, you know, get perfectly uh and and so i'm i don't know it, it is a uh, very frustrating because as i say he he has the tools to be a great wing back he just kind of needs to put it together yep i completely agree um our next questions come from maddie jolly on twitter he asked are you concerned with the lack of speed up top and would you swap Martial for tommy mack I'd, li- I'd leave Masiel out of the lineup for Tommy Mack at the moment. I'm sure Masiel will get some starts throughout this season. The reason why is because if you have Tommy Mack on the bench to start out the games, you'll have Tommy Mack, Captoom, and Tristison, and all those guys can kind of play kind of a central midfield, kind of, I'll, I'll say offensive, even though that's not what I mean, but, um, you know, kind of play an eight position, whereas I view Masiel as kind of more of a six uh, that kind of can play a similar role as Polster. And so if you have a one nothing lead and you want to take out Polster or if Polster's on a yellow, which he gets from time to time, um, you know, I'd feel weird subbing on Tommy Mack for Polster to kind of hold down a game. So I think I, I like Masiel as kind of a defensive substitution right now. Um, in terms of overall quality, I think Masiel is making a good argument for him going in and, and kind of, you know, potentially being a starter on this team. Um, but I, I think right now, if you look at, the overall makeup of the team. I, I think Maciel being a guy to kind of come in, hold possession, solidify that midfield late in the game. Um, I, I kind of like him in that role. Uh, whereas Tommy Mack, I, I kind of like as someone who can kind of get up, can fire some long shots, um, kind of a veteran who can kind of work off of Carlos Gil uh, and Sebastian Legette in the midfield. Um, yeah, I, I kind of like where the starting lineup is right now. And I'd be afraid that you have kind of too many of the same you know, people on the bench uh, if you put Masiel into the starting lineup. Yeah, I agree. I don't think Masiel, I mean, I don't think Tommy Mack has had a particularly strong start to the season, but I, you know, I, I wouldn't make that change yet. And Masiel's looked really good. So it's not because of Masiel's play, but um, I think the Revolution have found kind of a balanced formation with what they have out there and, you know, kind of a more of a balanced bench. Um, so I would kind of ride with what they're doing right now, uh, but I would be open to that in the future. 
Um, I will admit, too, that I don't have anything in my notes about Tommy McNamara. He was literally invisible. Um, I think he has a block shot. That's kind of it as far as my notes. But just looking over the stats, he was 28 for 32 passing yesterday, 44 touches. He was two for three on long balls, um, three clearances, two blocks, four recoveries. He was two for three on duels. Um, you know, he, he he played pretty solid, but I think he's just kind of invisible with all the star power in this lineup. So, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily see him as a massive liability or anything like that. He's just not the sexiest player in the world. I think I combined two questions here, and I don't, I'm not sure if you answered the first part is, um, are you concerned with the lack of speed up top for the revolution? Oh, I don't think we answered that. Um, no, no. I, and actually, I was, I noticed this kind of towards the end of last season, too. I think Adam Books is getting better at his runs. Uh, he had a really good run in today that actually, I think, led to the um, sorry, he had a good run yesterday. We usually record these on the same day. We're recording this Sunday. He had a good run yesterday where uh, he had the ball kind of knocked away and it, Carlos Hill picked it up and then drew the penalty. Um, I thought that was a, a pretty good run uh, where he looked dangerous. He had another run too where he really wanted to get the ball up to Gustavo Bo and kind of made a bad pass and turned it over. But uh, I thought he should have just kept running with it. Um, he, he seems to be getting a little bit better at his feet. He's not the fastest player in the world, but um, I, I think he's getting a little bit more and more dangerous, dangerous with his runs. Uh, so, um, Josie is also not the fastest player in the world, but, um, right now that, that lack of speed doesn't completely concern me. Um, cause I, I think you have some solid speed on the outside with Dewan Jones, uh, and, and I think Carlos Hill can outrun some guys too. So uh, I think they're still dangerous on the counter attack. Um, so I, I don't think that's necessarily need right now. I agree. And it's nice that they also have a change of pace and Ima Boateng on the bench who we have not seen yet. So hopefully at some point we'll, we'll see him because I do think it's, I think it's good to have that option, but I'm not, I'm not concerned with the, the lack of speed in the starting lineup. I would have liked to have seen some, uh, some speed yesterday uh, as opposed to that Josie Altador. Uh, actually, and, and that's one of his comments too. Also, please never play Josie, Bo and Buxa together ever again. Uh, I, I think that's, that, that's related because you're probably looking at those three guys, Bo and Buxa and tired legs in minute 85 and Josie kind of running up the field, uh, counterattacking and thinking, you know, we could use Boateng right now. Uh, th- that would have been a, a spot where I think, uh, uh, Boateng would have been pretty dangerous. Yeah, I, I do think there's almost too much of an effort to force Josie out there to get his fitness up because Bruce wants him to be able to play a bigger role. Um, I, I'd almost rather see, you know, instead of trying to force him into the, the lineup here, that he gets a minute with, with Revs 2 or something. Um, but I, I don't know why there's such hesitation to put Ima Boateng out there in these first two games. Uh, anyways, um, it, one last question from Maddie: If you're Bruce, are you going for the Champions League title? Uh, I, I definitely think you should. It sounds like Bruce is. Uh, it sounds like he is prioritizing the Champions League a little bit. So I, I would, if I was Bruce, I know that it is, I don't want to say a long shot, but I feel like MLS teams, again, I don't want to say give up, but um, maybe it's a lower priority because they don't have a lot of faith in their squad. Right now, I think if you're the revolution, you know, MLS Cup is a long way away. You have Matt Turner for six more months. Who knows how much longer you have Adam Buxa. Um, If I'm Bruce, I'm going to try to win every competition I can. Uh, I think it'd be a really, really short-sighted to kind of give up. I, I shouldn't say give up. Not field a, as strong a lineup uh, against Pumas as you could. Uh, because if if you fall out of Champions League and then you don't bring in the right pieces during the transfer window, you know, you might have a mid-table team. You might not 
you know, meet expectations going into the playoffs and it might be a lackluster season. So if I'm Bruce, uh, I'm, I'm trying to stay in the Champions League as long as I can. And, and maybe you use that as a recruiting pitch to get some more players over here. So um, and, and of course, too, I, I think, you know, the first MLS team to win Champions League is that that's going to be a really, really big deal. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Got to go for it. I 100% agree. And for the same reasons as you, there's just too much unknown about what's going to happen this summer with, you know, Turner leaving and maybe Adam Pukes leaving and who knows, maybe even Dewan Jones. So I think you got to go for it with it right in front of you. Um, and on that note, James Downing on Twitter asks, is Dewan this year's Tejan? I'm not 100% sure what he means by that. If it's, you know, is he the guy that's taking guys on and creating chances or is, if he, is he the guy that's kind of earned a summer transfer? Um, but any thoughts there? Yeah, or maybe MLS uh, All-Star, uh, you know, named the MLS All-Star game. Uh, in, in all cases, yes, I think Dewan Jones has been a very, very difficult player to guard on the wing. It seems like they want to push him into the attacking third as much as possible. I, I I was surprised how much he was getting up against Portland on the road. You know, normally that's a situation where maybe you play a little bit more conservatively, but Dewan, they certainly want to get up there uh, and attacking. So, um, yeah, I, I think Dewan Jones is kind of this year's wild card uh, kind of attacking winger uh, that I think is going to be a bit of a nightmare for players. I don't know if he's going to score eight goals like Tejan Buchanan did. I would guess no. Uh, but is Dewan Jones this year's potential breakout star who's going to get, um, you know, awards uh, across MLS and potentially a transfer to Europe this year? Yes, I, I absolutely think that is uh, – there's a very good chance of that happening. And Traeger Durati on Twitter asked a couple questions. First, he wants to know, what can the Revs do to score more goals aside from finish their chances? Uh, they're always able to respond after a goal, but can't generate the same energy in other situations. Besides finish their chances? Whew, well, I mean, finishing their chances would certainly help. Um, Sean, do you have anything? I, I, I'm trying to think. Of it. I, I'm not prepared for this one. What do you got? <laughs> no, I mean, it's tough. They didn't, they didn't create enough from the run of play in the first half, certainly, against FC Dallas. I think they created a lot more in the second half. I think it's just more just getting on the same page. And I think we've been seeing that as games have gone on, that they've kind of found that chemistry more. Um, you know, again, it's a big change to the way they play by putting Sebastian Legette in there over Tejan Buchanan, and they have to adjust to it. And I think they're, they're starting to do that. And I think we saw that more in the second half against FC Dallas than we did against the first. So... I think just give it time, not hitting the panic button yet. Yeah, the the first half seemed like they really struggled in possession. There were a lot of turnovers. There were a lot of little mistakes, and they'd lose the ball in midfield. They really weren't much of a factor in the first half. And I know it took, I think, 70 or 72 minutes until Adam Books got his 20th touch. Um, they just didn't really get the ball up the field that much. Um, so I, I kind of have a little bit of recency bias here where I'm thinking of yesterday's game and I don't think that yesterday's game is a good representation of what the revolution's offense will be this year. So it's kind of a tough question because they played pretty well in Portland and they looked dangerous against Portland. Um, yeah, I, I think just being on the same page and finding ways to get into the box because certainly where they're going to score goals is down low, whether it's Josie Altador or Adam Buxa finishing chances. I mean, Buxa had a good chance where he headed the ball that was kind of cleared off the line. Um, but overall, I, I don't think they were able to really feed him yesterday. Um, I think there was another play too where I think Carlos Hill chipped uh, the defense and Adam Buxa kind of ran it down and got a corner kick. Um, you know, I, I think we just kind of need to see more of that of getting dangerous balls into the box uh, that Adam Buxa or Gustavo Bo or Josie Altador can finish. I think that's going to be where the bread and butter is going to be. Um, and it seems like these first two games, especially yesterday, um, they just had a really, really tough time. You know, they get the ball down the wing. Um, they just don't really have a lot of dangerous activity uh, kind of in the center of the 18 box, I'd say. 
And then Trigger also wants to know what exactly is Josie Altidore's role. He says he sat in midfield and didn't go up with the attack most of the time. If he's protecting the lead, great. Huge improvement over last week, but it feels like he's being forced on in situations he shouldn't be. Kind of already covered this. I don't know if you had anything else to add. No, I think he's hit the nail on the head here. It seems like they're trying to build up Josie's fitness, and I'm not sure the role he played against Dallas is his best role. Uh, I would assume what his role is is to kind of come in for Bo or Buxa uh, and kind of, you know, when one of them needs a rest and to come out in the 70th minute, you put him on. Um, but maybe they're going to try to play this kind of 5-3-3 slash 5-3-1 formation where they just have a lot of firepower up top. Um, I don't, I, again, I'm not in love with that. I'm curious to see if under, I'll call it normal circumstances where you're not focusing on a player's minutes and getting someone 90 minutes fit, if, if we're going to see that. Uh, but yeah, it seems right now that he's kind of being forced on in the game, uh, just kind of see where he fits and how he fits with the team. And, um, I'm, I, to be completely honest with you, I'm not totally sure what his role is right now. Cause it's not the role I expect it to be. Yeah, I, I'm I'm completely with you on that. Um, Eric on Twitter says Turner's return keeps getting extended. How bad was this injury? I think we're all a little <laughs> hesitant here because of the lack of transparency around Carlos Heels' injury. We talked about this a bit. I, I, I mean, we don't know how bad this injury is, right? <laughs> yeah, and and um, again, there's been some conflicting reports all the way around. I, as I say, I want to give credit to Tom Quinlan for reporting that uh, it's either a broken foot or a fracture in his foot. Um, you know, I I trust Tom and his sources. Uh, I also know that Taylor Twelman tweeted out that it's not, I forget his exact wording, but he doesn't expect, he, he might miss the United States uh, camp, but it's not expected to be a long-term thing. Uh, and then Bruce Arena says you can expect him kind of in April. So I wish we had more transparency of what exactly this is. Um, it sounds to me, again, pure speculation here, but it sounds to me similar to something that Adam Buxa had last year where um, I think he had like a broken bone in his foot and he just needed to stay off for a little bit. I think he was on crutches a little bit last year. Um, Matt Turner was in a walking boot yesterday. I'm sure this is just something he's just got to stay off for a couple weeks. It doesn't, it sounds like it doesn't need surgery. So I'm not hitting the panic button. I, I think this is just something that kind of needs rest for a little bit. I wish we knew what it was though. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we all wish we had more transparency from the revolution. It's, it's disappointing when it comes to injuries that they're so secretive about it. I don't really know what they're getting from that, but uh, we've talked about that before. And it, it's not changing. So uh, at least under Bruce Arena, it seems like they're, the injury transparency is not going to be something we're going to get. Um, Eric also brings back up Brandon Bai. Uh, he says two games running Bai has been on goal, albeit from a bit of an angle, but rather than shoot, he cuts back for a pass. Should I not be asking him to shoot in these instances? Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, first I want to just go back to Bruce Arena because he was uh, he, he usually is not transparent. He was a little transparent yesterday. Maybe he was just in a good mood for breaking the uh, MLS uh, managerial wins record and was kind of talking a little bit more than he normally was. But I, I do think he, he gets a little bit of credit for giving a timeline, which is not something he did last year with Carlos Hill. Um, but in terms of Brandon Bai, too, uh, I had the same reaction as Eric the first time. I thought he was in on goal. I think you, you normally do take that shot. Um, after seeing the chance that was created with Gustavo Bo and looks like Bo scuffed that shot, um, you know, I, I don't hate the move by Brandon Bai. As I say, I think that should have been an assist. Uh, I think that probably should have been a goal from Gustavo Bo. Uh, so I, I have the same reaction as Eric. If this exact same play happens next week, I hope Brandon Bai has the confidence to take that shot. Maybe he just thought he was at kind of too narrow of an angle to take that shot. And maybe he thought that it'd be a little bit better getting Gustavo Bo, uh, kind of a, a shot that's a little more centered, which is never a bad idea. Uh, but uh, I certainly don't blame Eric if he thought Brandon Bai should have shot the goal. Because in real time, uh, that's what I wanted Brandon Bai to do as well. 
And then we got a couple questions from Robert Chevalier on Twitter. First was, what was around Omar's neck? I don't know if you saw that, but it almost looked like some sort of like headband type thing around his neck. I, I, I don't know what it was. Any, any idea? I, I don't have any idea what that was. I was hoping you could tell me. <laughs> I, I can't say I spent much time researching it, but I, I had the same question when I saw that. I've never seen something like that before on a soccer player. But uh, maybe a question for Asperger. It was like a, warm, a warmer thing, like he was to keep warm. Was it windy uh, yesterday? I mean, it was it was in the forties or thirties. It wasn't it wasn't a it wasn't a cold. I mean, it wasn't a warm game. But he played in Toronto last year. He should be used to it. Yeah, he he should be used to it. Yeah. Uh, so I don't I don't know, I don't know. Very very unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, if if we find out, we'll we'll tweet it out. <laughs> um, and then he asked thoughts on Josie coming in and the Rev switching to four three three allegedly. Uh, I don't know. Anything. I Talked about it. Hate it. Hate it. Yeah. Hate it. Yeah. Neither, neither of us are a fan, um, unless it's a situation where they're you know just trying to desperate throw throw bodies out there for a goal. But it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense when they're winning. Take it um, from a guy who has zero MLS wins. That the guy with uh, 241 wins is uh, making a huge mistake playing that four three three. We got a couple questions about the the uh, baby announcements um robert asks which revs baby is most likely to follow in their father's footsteps and play for the revs so the key the key of this question is play for the revs that is a very interesting kind of caveat and i'm going to go with matt turner uh because matt turner from the northeast i could certainly see you know him deciding to kind of if, if Matt Turner moves back to America eventually, uh, I, I could certainly see Matt Turner maybe taking a job as a goalkeeping coach or something like that. He seems to love his time in New England, and I think Matt Turner is very loyal to the team that kind of gave him this shot. Uh, whereas, you know, I think Matt Polster, this might be another stop for him. Uh, Carlos Hill probably will go back to to England. Uh, so I think uh, Matt Turner Jr. is going to be an incredible goalkeeper for the Revs in the 2040s. I'm going to take it a different direction. I'm going with Shari Joseph, who just had a baby boy. Uh, Shari Maximus Deuce Joseph. So congrats to Shari Joseph. That is an, also an amazing name. Um, so I, I'm going with him because, you know, Shari is here coaching. I think Shari is going to be with the team for a long time. He's got his, you know, very established in New England. Um, you know, he's been a, a youth coach. So I think he's going to coach this kid up to be a fantastic player. And, and I'm, that's, that's the direction I'm going with this one. That was a trick question. That was a good answer. And also... You can listen to our interview with Shalry Joseph from 2020 if you scroll back into our feed. Uh, very good conversation with Shalry Joseph from a couple years back. It is amazing how many people on the Revs are having babies. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Sam Minton asks, "What position will Matt Turner's baby boy play?" It's got to be goalkeeper, right? Got to be goalkeeper. <laughs> not even, not even a question. Next, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Paulo S on Twitter says historic win for Bruce Arena overshadowed an otherwise lackluster performance. Really, squad still lacking some sharpness. Carlos Hill and the outside backs bailed us out a bit today. Uh, I, I don't really disagree with that statement. Do you? <laughs> no, uh, I'd, I'd also add Andrew Farrell had a couple of uh, good moments one on one. Uh, I think there was one play where he had a moment uh, early in the first half where uh, he kind of made a sliding tackle and probably should have drawn, drawn a yellow. Uh, he takes the ball away from the attacker, and then the attacker kind of swings his leg back and looks like he clips Andrew Farrell. Uh, I thought that should have drawn uh, yellow, um, but it didn't. Andrew Farrell also had like a bit of a turnover, but he recovered a little bit uh, in the 29th minute. Uh, and then there was one more play early in the game where I think O'Brien kind of slips in between uh, by and Farrell kind of over the top. Uh, and it seems like he just can't get his uh, uh, foot on the ball to get off a, a shot. And Andrew Farrell is right there to recover. So I thought Andrew Farrell had some good moments of emergency defending uh, and some one-on-one defending today that kind of bailed out and kind of squashed some chances from FC Dallas, especially in the first half. 
And then David Sabillan had on Twitter had several questions. Uh, first, he says, this is why you bring in Omar, the veteran thoughts. I mean, I, I agree with that. This is why you bring him in, right? <laughs> yeah, and you kind of mentioned it earlier. His experience, especially in the Champions League, is probably going to help out. I know Andrew Farrell uh, gave Omar Gonzalez some uh, credit in the post game that his communication is phenomenal. Um, I mean, having a veteran center back is never a bad idea. So, yeah, I, I think he's playing his role really well. And, you know, uh, as I say, I wasn't too impressed with him in the Portland game, uh, but I think overall it's going to pay dividends uh, and he's going to be a big help to John Farrell and, or, or sorry, John Bell and um, Henry Kessler uh, as the season goes on. I'm sure they're going to learn a lot from him. And then he says, is there, is there anyone that can replace Matt Polster if he's on a yellow? Seems like a huge need. Any thoughts there? Uh, tip my hand on this one a little earlier. I think Masiel can kind of fill that role as well. Uh, I think Masiel still has a little bit of room to grow, but I think he can kind of fill into that number six position uh, pretty well. I did notice they didn't take off Polster yesterday when he had a yellow, uh, which I was uh, a little bit intrigued by. So I think maybe there is a little bit of a skill gap between Polster and Masiel and everyone else kind of in the central midfield. Um, and last year they did have Scott Caldwell to kind of come on uh, and kind of play that kind of closer role. Um, so I'm curious if maybe they do go out and get another depth mid, you know, defensive midfielder to kind of cover for Polster and kind of play a Scott Caldwell last minute role. Um, obviously they wouldn't pour a ton of resources into that. Uh, and I don't think there's anyone from Rebs two or the Academy that kind of fill that role as well. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious to see how they kind of go about it going forward. But yeah, if Maciel, you know, let's say eventually Maciel does replace Tommy Mack in the starting lineup. Uh, then I, I think uh, depth defensive midfielder number six type player uh, is a bit of a need. So I wouldn't call it a huge need at this point, uh, but it's something to keep an eye on that. Maybe if an expendable piece comes available later on in the season, uh, maybe Bruce Arena sends, you know, 100,000 in GAM or something like that uh, and kind of fills a, a you know spot in the 18. Yeah, I mean, I, I talked about this in the offseason a couple times as a position that I think the Revolution could use more depth in. I think if it's not Masiel, then there's nobody else. Um, Masiel's look good. I don't know if he has the bite that Polster has in that role. Um, I, I'm not sure about that yet. I think there's still a lot of question marks there. Um, you know, again, I think he's looked good, but I, I think there's a lot of question marks if Polster was out for any extended period, if he could fill that role. Yeah, so, I, I would say if Polster's out for two months, I'm concerned. Yeah. If Polster needs a rest, like next week, if Maciel is starting where Polster is playing, I'm not concerned. And I, yeah. I'm curious to see how Maciel does. Uh, but but Matt Polster is a pretty, pretty important part of this team. Yeah, no, nobody on the roster right now can play the role the way he does and replace him for a long term. So. Um, but I mean, it's not, it's not easy to find a backup for that either. So, um, if, I mean, if, the, like you said, if the opportunity presents itself, I think you take it, but, um, you know, in the short term, Masiel, I think would be good enough. Um, so he also asked about Earl Edwards. He said, Earl Edwards seems to be good enough. Do the revs still seek Ethan Horvath? Yeah. So this is related to, there's some rumors that the revs are keeping an eye on Ethan Horvath, who I believe is at Nottingham forest. Is yep. that correct? And yeah, I think he's been getting some starts over there recently. Prior to the past few weeks, he's been sitting on the bench. Um, his salary is pretty high. That would be at least a TAM signing, maybe a DP signing. Um, so I, I think that might be a little too overpriced. I know a few episodes we talked about potential goalkeepers to replace uh, Matt Turner when he leaves in the summer. I, I still think someone like Dwayne St. Clair is uh, more likely to be someone to replace Matt Turner. I still think that someone in MLS uh, is someone that can that will replace Matt Turner because you can use GAM on them. Uh, it's probably going to be a cheaper uh, player salary-wise. Um, so I, I think that's probably the route they take. Uh, but we did talk a little bit in the offseason. You know, if Brad Knighton plays well enough, could you 
just try to go the rest of the season and and see if he fills in. Um, I think Earl Edwards Jr. has added himself into that conversation. If Earl Edwards Jr. has six really good games uh, and plays above average goalkeeping, um, you know, why do you need to go out and spend an asset on an above average MLS goalkeeper? So um, I think that will that that does change the equation a little bit. Um, and, you know, uh, so I, I, I could see a scenario where if Earl Edwards Jr. plays six to ten games and plays very well, um, may, maybe the Revs kind of hold off for a little bit. Uh, but overall, if we're talking someone like Ethan Horfath, um, you know, th- that's a player that's out of the, you know, that, that's a few steps up from Brad Knight and, and Earl Edwards Jr. And if Bruce Arena wants to make that move, he's going to make that move regardless of how Earl Edwards Jr. plays. Yeah, I mean, it, it all comes down to money. If you can get Ethan Horvath and he's not going to be a designated player and you can fit him in on your you know salary cap, you do it. Um, I'm not still 100% sure how they do that, uh, given that, you know, presumably a transfer fee would be involved. He's under contract for several more years. He's you know just got three starts for Nottingham and played well. Um, I, I wonder if a loan is in the equation. Th- that's almost what I wonder. I almost wonder if it would be a, you know, a six-month loan that he pushes for because he wants to get playing time prior to the World Cup. Um, and that, you know, Matt Turner leaves the revs, Ethan Horvath comes in, plays for six months and then, you know, you know, the revolution pu- pushed to win now. And you know, Ethan Horvath goes back to Nottingham or there's a you know opportunity to buy him at the end of that loan. I don't know that that almost makes more sense to me. But then does that make sense to the revolution? Um, I don't know if, if Earl Edwards is playing well, maybe it doesn't. But, you know, if you have an opportunity to sign him and it's not going to take a designated player spot and it's not going to kind of hamstring you for other signings, you ha- absolutely do it. Because like you said, he's he's definitely another level from Earl Edwards and Brad Knight and um, as good as Earl Edwards has been. So, And I, and I, I do think it two games is not a big enough sample size, too. I, I still don't think the math and the equation has changed at this point. I think no. we need to get to, you know, we're, we're going to get Earl Edwards Jr. first. It looks like six games. Um, I, I think we'll reevaluate then, and then we can start to have serious conversations of, okay, does this look like the guy that can fill in for Matt Turner in the second half of the season? I, I still think right now it's a bit early to say that these two games have changed the Revolution's plans um, post-Matt Turner. And, and again, reality check, Earl Edwards has eight career MLS appearances, and he's 30 years old. Um, you know, it is too soon to say that. Ethan Horvath, 26 years old, played for the U.S. national team in some big moments, you know, played over in Belgium, played in Norway, um, you know, playing now in the English second division of the championship, you know, it's, it, it's too, it's way too soon to, to draw too many conclusions about Earl Edwards, you know, again, 30 years old, eight starts in MLS. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens, but if Ethan Horvath is available and you can afford him, I think you do it. Um, Paulo also says three and a half DPs at the same time, which I think he means, you know, out the door, Buxa, um, Bo and, and Carlos Hill thoughts on that. I think we covered that one, so I'll move on. Um, neither none of us were huge fans of it um, in this situation. Jake Katniss on Twitter asked, "Does Brutes hate using his fourth and fifth substitutions?" I'll hang up and listen. And you mentioned six stars. Any on Twitter responded to that and you know pointed out that Bruce Arena in the post game interview said that he intentionally didn't use them to help get some players more time for match fitness. Uh, any more thoughts on this one, Greg? Were you surprised that he didn't use subs four, four and five, and uh, should he have? I mean, he hasn't used those substitutions in the past, too. Uh, so I, I think that match fitness is the reason why. Uh, but also, I think it's an indication of he doesn't love the options on the bench. Uh, not that he hates the options on the bench, but, um, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of lack of trust in the Tristesons and Captooms of the world uh, where, you know, if they're clinging on to a one goal lead, you know, I, I think it's a little bit telling that you don't take off Bo in the 85th minute or the 87th minute and throw on a midfielder. Um, I, I do think that's a little bit telling. Uh, so, yeah, it's 
I, I think it it's a little 50-50 of you want to get Bo out there for 90 minutes and you want to get Books out there for 90 minutes. Um, and I, I, I also think it's a little bit of concerning on the, the bench. A little column A, a little column B. Also, also six stars any uh, listen to his podcast new podcast uh, go check it out pretty pretty good it's one it's one person I don't know his name uh, but uh, I gave it a listen um, a couple episodes in uh, so yeah, if, if you uh, need some more revolution talk uh, give him a listen yeah I mean I, I'm with you I, I don't I think it's very telling that he didn't use his fourth and fifth subs I understand the you know the fitness thought but I don't really know what you know playing a guy to the 80th or 85th minute as opposed to the 90th minute really does, especially when a lot of these guys are probably going to be asked to go 90 minutes on Wednesday. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that it makes a big difference um, fitness wise. And I do think that, you know, if you had trust in Captoom and, and Tristison or some of the other guys on the bench, um, isn't it good to get them some, some game minutes as well. So I'm not, I'm not completely buying that one. I think it's, you know, it is partly what, what you said that there's you know not the level of trust in some of these guys um, to close out a game that you, you know, might want to have. So, We'll see what happens going forward, but I, I don't really think that playing a guy, you know, 90 minutes in the second game of the season as opposed to 80 minutes when he's going to go uh, on Wednesday is necessarily a good thing uh, that makes a huge difference to his fitness going forward. Um, we got a couple questions on Discord as well. TSB11, um, you know, going back to a question we got on Twitter, we wants to know what needs to happen to spark the offense. It feels like we're still relying on Carly's heel to do something magic for anything good to happen. I don't know if there's anything you wanted to add to that. Uh, no, actually, the the next question kind of touches on what I answered earlier. So why don't you just keep going and, and sure. ask the next first question? Sure. Dra- Dragonslam Discord. Dragonslam Discord said it feels like we're out of sync. There were a number of miscommunication passes and missed runs that led to turnovers. Uh, how much does this do to the shortened preseason? Yeah, I think that the lack of spark on offense is just due to that lack of crispness, uh, the turnovers, um, just kind of not being in. You know, spots where you need to be, not getting dangerous balls into the 18, uh, turning the ball over in the midfield. I think there was just a lot of sloppy moves that um, really kind of thwarted offense before it really got going. And that's why we, we didn't see many dangerous plays yesterday. But how much is that just due to the shortened preseason? Um, I, I, I do actually buy that a little bit. I, I really do buy that reasoning uh, that, you know, uh, when you have the preseason, you have what, five games usually? Uh, you have some rotational lineups. Uh, you have some uh, new players that come in. Uh, you want to get some reps down. Um, and, and, you know, I think they look pretty good against Portland. And, and then today, not so much. Um, I, I do think that, you know, having a, you know, two USL opponents kind of come in on short notice, um, you know, maybe that wasn't the toughest opponent. Uh, I, I think having competitive games again, I, I think just – any beginning of the season, you're going to have some some rhythm you need to kind of get into. Uh, I, I do think that preseason might be a reason why we don't see this kind of crispness. Uh, and and to be honest with you, it, it's and, and going back to my key takeaway, I think Sebastian Legette has looked great. Uh, and if he had you know struggled this off season or struggled in the first two games, I, I certainly think we can kind of point to the shortened off season as saying you know this guy needed a little bit more time to gel with the team. But like Josie Altador, Josie Altador, I don't think has looked particularly amazing you know he's been with the team for a month uh, so not only has he played fewer games he, he's had fewer practices as well so um, I, I do think there are some p- pieces that they're still kind of working in and getting some reps and it's unfortunate Pumas is coming up this quick in the schedule it's going to be interesting to see how Wednesday night goes uh, but yeah I, I, I certainly think a lot of the errors that are happening right now is just due to some players not getting the reps that they need yeah, I mean, it goes back to my key takeaway, too, is the, the sharpness hasn't been there at the level that it needs to be. 
Um, and I think it's definitely impacted by the preseason. They built their whole preseason around playing Gavali and didn't happen. Um, so it's unfortunate and they need to figure it out by Wednesday. So, so we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also says, Bo hasn't looked great. Any thoughts on why he seems so hesitant to shoot? Seems like he's second guessing himself or something. I, I'll, I'll give that one to you, but I do want to note that he's had four shots in each of the first two games. So it doesn't seem like he's that hesitant to shoot. I actually was, yeah, I, I actually kind of disagree with this one a little bit. Um, he had that shot that I've talked about a couple of times now that he scuffed from Brandon by kind of in the center of the box. I uh, had that nice shot in the seven, fourth minute that, uh, we, we've mentioned he'll kind of miss on that rebound um he had that near post shot that he missed um he does seem a little bit off but it doesn't really seem like hesitation so unless there's a play that i missed it's it's very possible that he's thinking of a play that i can't recall right now i'm sure one of our listeners will point out something that i've i'm completely spacing on um i'm not entirely sure i am seeing the same thing in terms of hesitation uh but i will say he has not looked great he he doesn't seem to um have that I mean, he hasn't scored. Uh, that's that's one way to put it. He's a goal scorer. He's two games in, and we haven't seen a goal from him yet. Uh, he, missing that shot uh, on, on that cross from heel, I think, was a not a great look. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, I haven't been impressed with him the first two games. So I agree with him there, but I'm not so sure about the hesitation. Yeah, I mean, I, I, he's got for context, he's second in the league right now in shot attempts um, after two games. So I can't I can't say he's you know maybe you should have taken eight shots per game instead of four shots per game i don't know i can't i can't i feel I can't like, really I feel like there's that. a play he's thinking of that i'm not thinking of that's yeah kinda, sometimes we get a question that i i i think is referring to something and i i'm not missing it so i think if i rewatch the game and i was specifically looking for gustavo bow um hesitating on something i'm sure i'm gonna see it uh but you know maybe he's lacking a little bit of confidence i i i think we can kind of maybe that's a a good speculation that you know um, he, he doesn't have that same bite this year. Yeah, um, just just not to sound like a broken record, but I mean, we, I talked about this on the last podcast. Is that I don't think is, you know, like the rest of the team, he's he's not as sharp as we've seen him in the past, and he's been a guy that, uh, you know, last year I think started the season not looking very sharp. He takes some time to get into a flow, and when he does, he goes on a tear, um, and he's not there yet. So, you know, <laughs> another player that I think needs to really step it up on Wednesday. Um, I you know I haven't seen the hesitation to shoot, but I haven't seen the sharpness that we like to see out of him either. So mm-hmm. um, we'll, we'll see what happens again. Wednesday, I think is going to be a very, very interesting game for the revolution because, you know, they need to play a lot better than they've played the first two games uh, to get the result that they need. So um, I, I'm very excited for that. And and on that note, I think that wraps up uh, what we had for today. Um, I know you guys are, I think you and Chris are planning to do a live Twitter spaces following the Wednesday game against Puma. So that should be, um, an exciting one. Everyone should you know, check that out and we'll keep you posted on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Greg, did you have any final thoughts before we depart and where can everyone find you on social media? Uh, well, you can follow me at real G Johnstone on Twitter, where I tweet about the revolution and the Simpsons. Uh, and also I'm just really looking forward to AEW revolution tonight. I hope CM Punk sticks it to that MJF. What a complete <laughs> am I right, Sean? I have no idea what you're talking about, but sounds good. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at Sean L. Donahue, and you can follow us at Revolution Recap on Twitter and also on Facebook at Revolution Recap and Instagram at Revolution Recap. Um, you can send us your comments by email if you don't want to use Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook if you're anti-social media. You can also email us at revolutionrecap at gmail.com anytime with questions or comments. And if you haven't already, please rate and review our podcast on iTunes. You can also rate and review us on Spotify. We could use some more ratings and reviews there um, or wherever else you're listening. 
Uh, lastly, be sure to follow our partners at The Bent Musket and at thebentmusket.com. You can find them on Twitter and at thebentmusket.com. And as Greg mentioned earlier, we now have a Patreon. So if you enjoyed today's episode or if you've enjoyed what you've been doing, uh, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash revolution recap and feel free to contribute whatever whatever you think we deserve or whatever you can. Uh, you know, Any and all contributions are appreciated. But again, we're not planning to put anything behind a paywall at this time. So everything that you're getting uh, for free, it's all still going to be for free. Um, and like I said, Chris and Greg are going to be doing a live Twitter spaces, hopefully after the Puma CCL match. So stay tuned for that until then. Thanks everyone for listening. And thanks again for all of your questions.